Ohio State blowout of Michigan State, which erased several decades, I think, of bad karma. We have the ongoing Michigan shenanigans and, of course, their matchup against Penn State. We've got some national news. We've got some NFL news. We've got some basketball things to talk about. Before we do any of that, though, I want to uh, mention and talk a little bit about how amazing this past weekend was with the 11 Dubgate, the turnout, your support of the Olatani Special Olympics. It was a lot of fun. I got to meet a lot of really fun, interesting people. You knew it was uh, going to be special because it was the 11th, 11th that's, Dubgate. That's right. And that was always going to be a winner. I was there. George, you were there. You pull, You came all the way up from sunny Florida and, and had a great time. Yeah, to cloudy and, Columbus. And cloudy, cloudy Columbus. Cloudy, cold Cebus. But you know what? You were able to exercise some demons from your from your past, and I, I am glad that you got the opportunity to do that. I think you had, I, from my perspective, I think you had a great time. Did you have a great time? Am yeah. I right about that? Oh, my goodness. I had a wonderful time. I was celebrating turning 30. It was, uh, it was yeah. great. And, 30, uh, 30, I, let's go. Yeah, well, for some people. But, you know, it was a it was a nice time. Yeah. You know, doing like a three hour tailgate uh, right by the stadium and then uh, going to the game. And I uh, dipped out at halftime because I figured, you know what, 35 three is probably enough. And uh, I'm as a as a Florida man of two years raised in the Midwest, I've completely lost all of my polar bear blood. And now I'm I'm not even remotely capable of being in a 40 degree climate without a minimum of five layers. And I was only wearing four. So it was a uh, just all around, you know, frigid evening for me personally. Johnny kept laughing at me a lot. Just me trying to cover my I'm face. I'm still laughing about it. My, my I, face I feeling cold for the first time in its life and just not able to tolerate the conditions. But, you know, we uh, we persevered and uh, witnessed another Ohio State victory. Man, I thought North Side of Chicago was like forever. I didn't think that stuff ever left you, but you know, it's all right. It's okay. It's okay. It's you know what? You were there and you toughed it out for the half and you saw the important half of the game because, you know, in the past, I think you know, with Urban Meyer and uh, you know, even I guess maybe some of the more evil um intentions of Jim Trestle like towards Northwestern and company, you know, you might see a team, you know, keep their uh, starters in there for a long time, blow out somebody by 50, which they could have done against Sparty if they'd felt like it. But Ryan day called off the dogs at halftime and, you know, basically said, this is, this is who we are. This is our statement. They put out some pretty fun, entertaining things. And that was it. And look for a half of football, I mean, the rest of the half was just chilling and vibing and enjoying it. But that first half of football was pretty freaking incredible. Um, You know, the thing is about all of this is that I think Ohio State has one of the best defenses in the country. I think that's pretty much not up for debate. Where we have mostly been wringing our hands and worrying about stuff as Ohio State fans is the offense and the consistency and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if one game can be considered a trend at all, especially when you're playing a team like Michigan State, which has really got some issues. But everything worked. Everything worked from the jump. Every single thing worked. Kyle McCord had his best game uh, passing as a quarterback and essentially one half of play. Um, They racked up 530 yards. Henderson didn't have to do much, but he looked good on the ground. They did a lot of creative stuff. Marvin got 150 yards. I mean, it was just top to bottom this was domination, man. And like, I don't, 
I don't know. I guess my first question to you, we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of the more of the particulars here, but my first question to you about this game is, do you think this is sustainable or do you think this is a product of them playing Michigan State? Uh, Michigan State is an emasculated football team. We can't ignore that. Uh, yeah. What happened with Mel Tucker this year is pretty much devastating to any football program. To have that happen in season, I mean, you need to compare it to something like what's happened at Northwestern this year, which is just a completely unexpected, phenomenal coaching job there in Evanston um, to get that team to five and five. But you have to remember that the, the sudden departure of their coach, if you want to, you know, call it that, uh, that, that at least happened with a bit of a runway for the team to re-strategize and adjust its approach heading into the regular season. They got clowned by Rutgers in their debut, but they had more of a runway with which to bounce back. Uh, You saw how Mel Tucker leaving uh, literally impacted the financial incentives for the players from an NIL perspective. (laughs) Right, right. Because they, and for the people who don't know, I mean, we had a ton of those people in the collectives just pull out. As soon as he was gone, I was like, well, see ya. Right. So that figure leaving that program created a void in on from multiple perspectives and it's it is very much uh illustrated itself on the field they had not won a game since his firing until they beat nebraska last week by a field goal and an upset um so and now they're in a position where against michigan and ohio state the two best teams that they've played uh, they've been outscored by a total of, I believe, 87 to 3. Yeah, something like that. That's yeah. not good. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> Hang so, on, I want to look up and verify to make sure that that is, in fact, not good. <laughs> I, yeah, so I, uh, the, the, this team, I, I don't want to go as far as to say what do they have to play for, but when you've been undermined like that in the middle of your season that point treading water is uh what you're pretty much happy with i think so it's uh yeah it's tough to really garner much but in that sense i'm very glad that they followed the approach of not putting more on tape than necessary and going even further than that and not really going through anybody to win this game other than Marv in the early going. Uh, right. McCord very evenly distributed the ball, I thought, to the tune of what everybody was saying was his best performance as a quarterback so far this season. But, again, it's against a team that has effectively been sleepwalking um, for the better part of a month and a half now. So yeah. And that's, and I think that's a totally fair point. I mean, it was pretty clear from the get-go which team was, you know, excited to be there and which one wasn't. And, you know, I will say one of the things that I really enjoyed watching was kind of the wrinkles that they threw in. Um, it wasn't just the fact that they were getting it back to Cade and, you know, he had a really good game and obviously Marvin, you know, had the touchdowns, 150 yards, all that kind of stuff. But like the end around to Marv, uh, getting Xavier Johnson involved in really interesting ways, having him, you know, obviously he's active in the run game and in the past game. Um, that kind of stuff 
that's the stuff that's more interesting to me and more exciting to me than like Kyle McCord, you know, throwing for 330 some yards. Like that's, I, I mean, not to take anything away from that. I think he had a great game, great prep, but the, the creativity that they showed on offense, um, it, it's just one of those things where I'm like, this is awesome. Please, please make sure you do this against Michigan, right? Like don't, don't turtle, don't freak out. Don't go, you know, keep that, that edge and that desire to be weird with you when you play the big boys, because that's that's what's going to help you win those games. I think. I think Ryan Day needs to double down on the weirdness because, yes! you know, yes! I wanted to see Xavier Johnson more involved. But the big criticism that Day has fielded year, or at least one of them year over year, particularly relative to Michigan, is that his play calling formation wise becomes too predictable over right. the course of a game. It right. was a particularly big issue relative to under center plays versus shotgun snaps uh, in the 2021 game. Obviously there's been some information that's come to light about uh, both of those performances relative to <laughs> Michigan making informed sure. decisions against certain formations. But right. the right. point stands that the pattern was pointed out that the run versus pass balance uh, in the formations was somewhat predictable, uh, fairly predictable, uh, depending on wherever Stroud was going to be taking the ball from under center or uh, mm-hmm. further back. To that point, Dan Hope pointed out, I believe, while we were watching the game or in our, our communal you know, Slack observation thread, uh, I think he said that every time they had that formation with Xavier Johnson in it, the twin flex or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. he got the ball. So yeah. that that is a continuation of a like not good trend, I guess, year over year. Like if the the if you want to really really grasp at straws in terms of criticizing Ryan Day as a play caller, when many uh, you know and the higher annals of college football have referred to him as one of, if not the best at doing that. Um, and yet still many have questioned if he should have relinquished the the reins on that to Brian Hartline this year. <laughs> right. It, uh, you know, including myself, I'll, I'll be honest, but again, I'm just a, a dude with a microphone. Uh, nobody know- even knew me at Dubgate this weekend and that's totally <laughs> how I wanted it. Well, here's here's the thing. So I, I guess the favorable or the charitable interpretation of some of the things like that with Xavier Johnson and, you know, him lining up like, hey, he's in the pistol. Okay, it's going to him. Um, it, maybe he's setting up tendencies so they can break them later on. You know what I mean? So that when you get that game against Michigan and you try it out and say, like, oh, it's going to X, and then it doesn't. Then it, instead, it's like 4D chess. That's right. And I don't, you know, and I don't know, I don't know if college coaches really think like that. I don't know if they go, okay, I'm going to set up this play in, you know, in early November so that three weeks later it'll play off. I, I Maybe that does I mean, go they're into implementing it. sign-stealing countermeasures pretty quickly. So, I mean, they're That's at true. least ahead of that. Yeah, that which is good, and and as as well they should be because obviously that's that's going to be a huge topic in the next couple of weeks. But you know, I, in general, I I just like I agree with you. I like the weirdness. I like doing things that other teams haven't seen before. Um, and you've got like 
the thing is, man, is that if it's not working, you have that safety blanket. And it's not even just Marvin Harrison, right? You don't, it's not just the fact that you have the best player in the country to throw to, but you've also got a guy like Kate Stover, who, you know, if, if you can target him reliably is going to get you eight to 10 yards, every catch. So you're not going to look for that every single down, but it's there. And so my point is, is that like, yeah, you got to keep the running game involved. And yes, there's only, you know, there's a finite amount of downs that you have in a game with which to really get, you know, goofy and, and do interesting things. But like the wrinkle with Marvin Harrison, you know, taking the end around and that that's, that's the thing that I think is going to keep opposing uh, defensive coordinators up at night. Because it's not just Emeka doing that now or Xavier Johnson doing that. Now you've got to worry about Marvin Harrison going in motion and you're like, oh, is he going to get the handoff or is he just going to break for like, you know, for a fly route and then just go straight down 60 yards on the field? You don't, you don't know. You don't know how it's going to work out. And that causes your team to have to adjust in a way that maybe they hadn't anticipated before. So I really like that stuff. I really, really like seeing that. And obviously it paid off incredibly well on Saturday. Yeah, you know, we should clarify though. When we say weird, we don't mean like you know rotating Devin Brown in red zone <laughs> opportunities. That's right, not that's, that, that weird. That's too, too weird, weird. Too weird. Too weird. Too As weird. they say on Workaholics, we're going for a very specific kind of weird. That's right. That's right. Um, other thing I want to talk about. I mean, defensively, obviously Ohio State um, start to finish. I will say there are a couple times where people are like, oh, maybe you know Michigan State's getting a little momentum here. Uh, the running back had a couple of good runs, not not a ton, but, you know, enough to make people go, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, but overall, I mean, Michigan State's been uh, finished with less than 200 yards of total offense, only 88 yards of passing offense. And this is without your starting safeties and uh, your best linebacker um, all being out. So all things considered, I think it was a pretty, pretty solid performance by the defense. Um I do think that the loss of uh, of uh, Lathan Ransom, which is a long-term one, according to Ryan Day, uh, is, is going to be rough. But I also think that the guys that they've had step in and, uh, you know, put in time, you know, guys like Cody Simon, a linebacker, and then Jermaine Matthews, I, they've done really, really, really well. So... And Styles, I think, arguably had his best game as a buck. Styles had an incredible game. Yeah, if you want to, like point to a guy that genuinely had a really good game and yeah. regardless of like you know oh the opponent whatever it's like styles that's everywhere big confidence boosting moment for a guy that's going to be necessary in this defense in light of ransom uh getting injured so yeah getting that sack i mean build off of this yeah, well, yeah that was my favorite defensive play of the game was the delayed blitz he had so yeah, yeah. it stuck out to me the most and more of that because that's, you know, when we talk about offensive play calling, I mean, that's the other thing with Styles. He's, he's so big and so fast. It's like it's like a linebacker coming out of there and in a place that you don't expect. And so, I yeah, I, I want to see a little bit more of that in terms of uh, blitzing and whatnot. Now, we will get into the Michigan-Penn State game, and we can talk a little about Manny Diaz's approach to that game and how interestingly learned apparently nothing from Ohio State's loss to Michigan <laughs> last year but we'll talk about that uh in due time um but overall like i said i this is a fun game to watch it was very relaxing in the second half uh was there anything so you know lincoln keenholz gets in there and you know th- two for three i i kind of want uh, to see I'm, him. I'm i'm navigating to 10th and neil at this point to take an uber to the hotel <laughs> i have no idea what is happening 
Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing, though, because at, at that point, you know, it's like the fourth quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. That was the time where I was like, can they just like try to do some bombs here? Like I really so it was cool to see, for example, a guy like Jelani Thurman come in. Right. And have a, he had a really good uh, 14 yard catch. Um, you know, ever prior got some play. That was fine. And, you know, I think there's I think it's pretty obvious that the guy you know, injuries have kind of caused him to lose a step a little bit, which is unfortunate. But I wanted to see Keen Holes just do some really crazy, goofy stuff. Give him a keeper. I don't know. But they played it safe. Um, didn't put up a lot more points, but I think that's totally fine. I think pretty much everybody who saw that game realized that it was, you know, that could have been 60 to three. You know, it was it was just whenever Day wanted to call off the dogs. So um, a lot of fun. Last thing I want to say about this particular game what do you think Marvin Harrison Jr. has to do? I mean, he's in the Heisman conversation now. He's, he's going to get an invite. He's going to New York City. What do you think he has to do to actually get the Heisman? He's got if two he games can, left. If he catches a pass touchdown, if, or if he catches a touchdown in the next two games, that's eight straight games with a receiving touchdown. That's pretty wild. To close out the regular season. And he's over 1,000 yards. Um. Which, you know, it, it's not like a, a crazy, like, un- mind-boggling number or anything like that. But I think that's a, a milestone that you want to hit if you're going to be the, you know, if you're going to be the Heisman candidate. I think personally, I think he's got to put up a similar game against Minnesota. And then I think he has to do something special against Michigan. And by something special, I mean, like, he's got to turn in a huge freaking performance. And then I think that would, especially in the light of guys like Michael Penix Jr. and, and you know, some of the other dudes, even Bo Nix, I mean, Bo Nix has looked really great, but I feel like that guy is kind of a latecomer to the Heisman uh, conversation. If he gets a um, hundred yards receiving and a touchdown in the next two games and they beat Michigan, so they finish the regular season undefeated. Yeah. He gets a, at least one touchdown catch in uh, eight straight games to end the regular season. Right now he mm-hmm. has two straight, two touchdown catches in three straight games. So That's what insane. if he what if he get what if <laughs> he gets ridiculous. what if he gets two next week and then two against Michigan? That's that, five. That's five straight games to end the regular season with two touchdown catches in each game. That would be pretty bonkers. That that and that right. And then like, you've got an undefeated Ohio State, an undefeated Ohio State team. So yeah, to your point, that would know. be six games this season in which he's had two touchdown catches, and that would be. Uh, I believe nine of 12 games in which he has a hundred yards receiving this season. So yeah. if that, if they force feed him the next two games and you know, you, you, you go with the horse that got you here in terms of, you know, riding it to the, to glory. Yeah. You, I mean, they got uh, 150 without trying that hard <laughs> against Michigan's you right. know, like, so no, I, I think I think that would do it. I would agree with you. Like I don't think he has to do some mind bending stuff. He doesn't have to be Calvin Johnson. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have to like basically put the entire team on his back. I think he be just is incredible. I mean, granted, that's that's I'm not saying like it's just go out and be incredible, but I think if he's his regular self and they win those games and he's dominant, then he's got a really, really good shot at this thing. Because that's the weird thing about the Heisman conversation to me is that it's not about like 
who actually the best player is, right? Because if that was a conversation that we were having, we wouldn't have we wouldn't care about his his like overall stats and how many touchdowns because he's pretty clearly, in my opinion, the most talented best player in America. I don't know that there's really anybody who would argue against that too vociferously because he's he's clearly that much more dominant than everyone else. Um, but because yeah, it's of the a, way the it's a subjective award. It's the most spectacular player in college football, and yeah. I, I think that it's been at least from a skill player perspective, it's pretty obvious that's Marvin Harrison Jr. this season. So yeah. I think the case is very much there for him. It's just going to be a question of very much like last year, uh, where I believe Duggan would have won the Heisman Trophy if he had won the Big Twelve Championship game. Oh yeah, I think so too. But so then blew it. <laughs> it's, it's just going to come down to whether or not the quarterbacks that are up for it this year fumble it, um, right. assuming Ohio State wins out. So Yeah. I just remember um, the scales fell from my eyes. This is back when I was, you know, still still believing that anything can happen in college football. If you just believe hard enough and, you know, some people will recognize excellence no matter what. And I watched Indomitian Sioux uh, just annihilate Texas for the entirety of the big 12 championship game. It wasn't, that was one of the best performances I've ever seen from any, I've never seen, I've never seen anyone else just like cast aside triple teams. I mean, you, who you don't see, you wouldn't see like chase young or Bosa get triple teamed. No. And well, and cause he was doing it from a, uh, a defensive tackle position, right? Like it's not even, it's not even a guy who like, okay, I got a swim move and I got around the guy and I sacked again. They were literally, I mean, it, you're saying the triple team people are like, Oh, maybe they just, Oh, they're, they're really going after. No, they were literally triple teaming this guy and he and was just failing and failing and it didn't matter. And that was, that was the best defensive performance I've ever seen. And that was when Texas player. too had the rep for having like, you know, beefy offensive line. They oh, hadn't right. totally lost their luster yet to where it's the Texas's back era. It yeah, yeah, they, they were still one of the best there. teams in the country and, and in Duncan to annihilated them for an entire game. Um, and I think after that, I was like, well, they, they got to give the Heisman to this guy. I mean, it was, and then I actually Bo Bishop, you know, former uh, Dubcast co-host Bo Bishop, now of 97.1 the fan and Brown's fame. Uh he vote he was a Heisman voter and his vote was that year for Indomic and Sue. And he was talking to some of his Heisman voters. He talked about this on the dubcast uh, a long time ago. He was like, you know, I was trying to tell people like, man, you you gotta give it to the best player. And people were like, well, you know, did he, how many yards did Indomic and Sue throw for? Like, hey, he doesn't touch the ball, you know, like how can you vote for and it's like and and that was his moment where he was like, there's no way. Like they're not going to give it to these guys. So it's got to be, you got to have this like sexy com. You got to have this combination of like sexy stats, a marquee moment, all this other stuff. And it kind of sucks because objectively, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player in college football. Uh, But you still have to meet some weird BS like criteria that a lot of Heisman voters still hold on to because they were like, you know, back, back when they were 45 years old and Doug Flutie, you know, hit that giant thing and, and rob jack tatum or not jack tatum um oh shoot they're gonna kill me now running back ohio state early 80s I you're asking me for help <laughs> is that guy that works at espn rob no no, no that's rod smith rod, rod smith, smith. <laughs> yeah, rod that's, smith. The, that's the only 80s running back i can name off rip 
so essentially i think the problem is is that you know heisman voters want to have they want the sexy stats they want to have the signature heisman moment and lieu of actually looking at who's the best and i think about it you know going back all the way in 1984 with keith byers where like this is a dude who deserved the heisman trophy but he's not Doug Flutie hitting a bomb at the end of the game and jumping into people's arms and stuff like that. And so that's that's the thing that kind of frustrates me sometimes because there is that romance part of college football that we all love, but I think sometimes it just goes to our heads. Everyone's like, come on, man, like give it to the best dude. So I think Marv should win it regardless, but um, if he goes out and, and has crazy games, then he'll get it i think i think he'll win those voters over let me ask you this do you think that we will see which which do you think we will see first another defensive player win the heisman trophy or another two-time heisman trophy winner oh god that's a good question that's a great question i think i think it's going to be another two-time heisman winner before we see yeah, a defensive I, player. i hate that but i agree because when was the last one was it was it was it what's it i mean Woodson's the only one. Yeah. So and Archie's the only two time winner. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a big pride thing between these two schools. Right. But I don't think, I mean, it used to be in the past where it was that unspoken thing where freshmen can't win the award. I, obviously, that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Of course, that's happened. Um, and because of the willingness to give it to these guys at younger ages and you know, the fact that they have to stay in football for at least three years, it's entirely possible that you see, even in the next, you know, three to five years, you'll see a two-time. I think it's easier for them to win when they're younger because there's less film available on them. And it's harder or it's easier. No, it's harder to scheme against them as you're, you know, trying to figure them out in season. When you've had a whole off-season to, like, digest and prep, you can, uh, you know, we – we saw it with JT Barrett. He somehow became a slightly worse thrower every year he was at Ohio State. It didn't make any sense, and it's it, you know, it's just a weird thing that can happen with young young quarterbacks that have a lot of front loaded success. It's just very very hard in this sport, especially in this day and age, to sustain that for four straight consistent seasons. Not everybody right. is Pat White. That's, that's right. Who also uh, deserved Heisman at one point. Um, all right, so that's uh, the Ohio State-Michigan State game. Great game, great blowout by Ohio State. A lot of fun to watch for a half, and then you can just kind of relax and, and take drink your sleepy time tea and enjoy the second half at your leisure. Um, we're going to get into a bunch of other stuff. We've got lots of things to talk about, as I said. Um we're going to get to ask us anything, but before we do that, we want to remind you that we're sponsored by One Medical, so let's hear from them. The best defense is a good offense, and that goes for your health, too. That's why One Medical, the modern doctor's office, is changing the playbook for primary care. With four C-Bus locations and 24-7 virtual care, One Medical helps Buckeye stay healthy, and the relationship with OSU's Wexner Medical Center makes it easy to get access to specialists. To get your 30-day free trial, visit onemedical.com and use the code TRY1MCOL. That's T-R-Y, the number one, M-C-O-L. All right, and that was our sponsor, One Medical. Let's go ahead and do our favorite part of the show, which, of course, is Ask Us Anything. And we remind you that you can ask us literally anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And when I say anything, I mean anything, although... 
you know, obviously there's been certain topics more on the mind of, uh, of, uh, you know, listeners than others, which I think is totally fair, uh, given the insanity of, uh, the past several, um, you know, weeks. So let's start with our good friend Alvin here, um, who says OSU seems to be kind of playing with their food in all of these games, slow starts, self-inflicting mistakes, et cetera. In years past, we would blow teams out and let the bench in for meaningful reps. Um, in thinking about the future, do we really lack of blowouts is hurting our chance for second or third team reps for the future? So I guess the question would be then, and since we had a lot of opportunity for that against Michigan State, do you think that that's meaningful, George? Do you think that those reps, you know, Lincoln Keen holds yeah. and then, do you uh, yes. think that helps them? Yes. Yeah. Any, and, any, and anything, so? because it's not practice. Like you have to understand like that, that is so key to be able to get in a live game situation and like get those nerves out. That is so huge for young players like you. And even just further than that, I mean, they deserve to be out there as much as the guys that are starting. Right. They put in just as much work, but the reality is the guys in front of them are more talented and more experienced but they deserve to be out there just as much. And so when there's an opportunity for them to get them out there, they should be out there. That's yeah. how you make a, that's how you make everybody on the team. Everybody eats and then everybody's right. happy, but the guys that don't eat every game, understand they're not going to get to every game. That doesn't mean you don't, you know, leave them famished. You go put them out there. You don't do what Jim Harbaugh's done to Donovan Edwards this season <laughs> until he scored his <laughs> first touchdown in his he had a couple, last He game. had a couple of good runs against Penn State, but yeah, you don't just run him into oblivion and just you know, pound dust. I will say... And then it, put it, Blake Corum in on the goal line after he gets oh, you down in the red zone. <laughs> Absolutely. Low-key, one of the funniest moments in college football this entire season is is Donovan Evers trying to call his own shot at like the one-yard line and then calling a timeout to get him off the field <laughs> and saying, no, 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 Donnie, you're, you gotta, you gotta, you're going to sit down for this one. Um, here's the other thing I'd say about that. I, I think there's a lot of confirmation bias in, in sports, not just football. I think in any level of sport. And when you've got players that people think are really, really good they're going to get the majority of the reps no matter what. And usually they deserve it, right? It's, it's pretty obvious to tell who's good and who's, you know, better than other players or whatever. But, you know, like, I wonder, it, I do wonder how a guy like Xavier Johnson, who's really become this, like, Swiss Army knife for Ohio State, would he have that kind of opportunity if he didn't, like, kind of show out in garbage time initially? Because the, the, the narrative on him was like, oh, man, this guy's been in the program forever. Isn't it great that he's getting out there and getting to do stuff? And now it's like he's a legitimate weapon that people have to account for. And I think that's because he was able to, like, really make an impact, um, you know, at the end of games when, you know, normally people wouldn't be paying attention. So I don't like I think those are valuable, too. I would agree with that. I think The that's best play that of his career was that insane, like, touchdown run he had at the end of the Indiana game when it was garbage right, time right. and it had right. already been established that Ohio State could score whatever it wanted on Indiana's defense but right. that touchdown was a big confidence boosting moment for a guy who now has the potential to play a very nice uh 
x-factor stretch running role in this offense down the stretch of the season so you can (laughs) see how those garbage time moments even though to us fans they may be the perception of garbage time you put in all this work during the week so that the games feel like celebrations but you can't really celebrate if you're you know just chilling on the sideline you got to get out there so it's it's big for those players that they get to have those moments. And I'm sure that they're grateful to the guys in front of them that they put in enough work on the front end that the coach feels comfortable enough putting in the backups for relief to, you know, keep things safe. So it's, it's a very, very good win for the team. Even if for a fan, we only really get a half of palatable football. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, All right, so this next one's from Kevin. Uh, He says, here's what I do not understand about the situation at Michigan. If any organization that I have been a part of was accused of wrongdoing, the leader of the staff, the leader would get the staff together, figure out what was was or what was not going on, inform a management and take appropriate action. Never, never, never would the leader dream of saying, I had no knowledge of anything improper going on. Why? Because that's not leadership. That's not what you get paid to do. Uh, my thought on this, on why this has not happened is simple uh, money. What is your opinion? Here's the thing. They're trying to extend Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> they they want him to get another contract. They're trying to keep him there and, and keep his wandering eyes away from the NFL. And their biggest worry right now is that he's going to look at all of this going on and going like, ah, oh, this is cramp. I don't need this. And then, you know, try to get hired by the bears or somebody I I think money is two things. For one, I think they are worried about the kind of money that they're investing in Jim Harbaugh. And then also, I think they're worried about, um, I don't know, maybe taking a hit in terms of like attention and other things like that. They don't want to address it if they don't have to because they understand that they've built something. And if any part of that is fraudulent, then that's going to hurt their bottom line. So I do think money is kind of part of that. Yeah, I, I mean, we got to remember they were not confident enough in him three years ago that he had to take a salary reduction. And yeah, they basically COVID, cut a salary in half. Right, and COVID played a factor in that. But the school, the, the point of that, regardless of COVID, is that the school, within the last three years, was in a precarious enough position financially relative to what it was spending on the staff of its football program that they needed that sort of reduction. The confidence and results of the last two years have positioned them in a way where now they feel better about making an offer larger than that in order to keep them around. But you, you see how money absolutely has to play a factor in the thinking just relative to how the contract situations of the last two years have played out where you can see that it was really a wait and see approach of sorts in terms of giving him the kind of extension that would put him in the caliber of Ryan day and James Franklin and the other top tier earners in college football, not just in the big 10. So money absolutely is playing the factor here, but the fact that they went with the wait and see approach and now they're in a situation where they kind of need to keep waiting and seeing, I mean, it's, uh, it's, 
not a good dynamic for them to be in just relative to making a long-term decision, but it's a great dynamic for them to be in if you're an Ohio State fan. Oh, yes, because it's extremely funny and, and uh, you know, amusing just to watch every new permutation of the story come out. By the way, this is this is from Matt in Minneapolis. Uh, this isn't so much a question, but he saw that he – so he was watching uh, the mission game um, a couple weeks ago and saw that uh, it, it appears that Jim Harbaugh was doing dip on the sidelines. He had a wad in his, in his mouth. Uh, which, of course, is a violation of NCAA rules, uh, bylaw 11.1.5, apparently. He, so he, he, he does like a tongue-in-cheek expression a lot. He does. So he does. No, he I does. Would when be, he's thinking, he goes, he yeah, always right. Yeah. So I would be skeptical that he actually had a pouch in. Okay, but but Matt has a circle uh, in red with a red arrow pointing at it. So I just want you to understand... <laughs> incriminating evidence that's right you know enhance eight times and even if he is like i don't know i those that's one of those things i mean i would not ever do dip because it's disgusting but um i I do like that's that's maybe not the the thing that i would be focusing on uh over the past couple weeks uh there's so many other things you can write them up for like just let this one go yeah i would agree all right so this one's interesting. So this is from another Kevin. Uh, guys, do you think Kyle McCord's penchant to play to the level of his competition will bode well against that team up north? No. <laughs> I don't either. I, You know what? Michigan's defense is legit. As as much as I like to kind of say that they're maybe not as good as they, they think they might be, which I still think is true, I, they're still very easily atop. You know, I, I'm bracing for early mistakes and treading water yeah. in that game. <laughs> Yeah, and, and look, and he could he could come out and and look great, and Cade is his you know safety blanket, and then he throws a bomb to Harrison, and all of a sudden Ohio State's up twenty one to nothing. But I, I'm kind of with you. I think it's going to take him a while to get his sea legs underneath him, particularly on the road, right? In that situation, so I, I think he'll I think he'll be better than a first year starter going to Michigan on the road would you would normally assume would be. Uh, I also don't think he's going to go out there and look like CJ Stroud. I think he's um, going to be trying to bait quite a few pass interference penalties in the early I, going. I would not be surprised by that either. I think that's pr- a pretty good observation. Uh, this one's from Joshua F. Jim Knowles seems fine with letting teams run the ball in Ohio State as long as they limit big plays and make it hard for teams to score touchdowns. Michigan beat Penn State fairly handily on Saturday while not throwing a single pass in the second half. That's essentially true they they tried to throw a couple of passes i think one was like i think there was a penalty and then the other one uh jj mccarthy just ended up scrambling instead of throwing it uh but they yeah they that's that was basically what they did uh how afraid are you of seeing a copy and paste plan by michigan in two weeks that just wrecks ohio state a la 2021 i i the th- I, I was impressed by the way they schemed like their they're blocking um they they used they pointed out on the broadcast that penn state's strength of its defense is its speed and the way that michigan took advantage of that was by using a lot of misdirection in the in the um pulling of their guards Mm -hmm. and uh bringing their tight ends around they they often had a lot of their blockers moving in contrasting fashions where when you know they'd be catching 
Penn State in a man coverage look. They would have defenders, you know, kind of crossing each other, running opposite directions while the ball is uh, going in such a way where you really need all of your blockers moving in the same direction. So they, in particularly on a lot of their uh, third and long conversions, Michigan against Penn State, which was very crucial for them uh, building an early lead that ultimately led to their win. Um, they they were so good just scheming them out of direction to be and and ripping open holes i i don't i don't know if i would describe ohio state's strength of its defense speed in the same way which makes me i i I would say they're more disciplined which makes me optimistic that they're not going to be as taken off guard by you know the pulling of guards so to speak (laughs) but i uh i i i'm schematically i became impressed by michigan's uh run game this weekend which based on what you had said earlier this season i know that had been kind of a pain point i think for uh the michigan offense but when you pair that with you know, the slippery bastard mobility that we've talked about J.J. McCarthy having, yeah, that's a legitimate concern for, I think, any defense in college football. I think yes. Ohio State has the personnel to keep yeah. them in check, but it's gonna, I'm going to be nervous in a way that I haven't been against anyone else this season. And that's, and that's totally fair. And, and here's the thing I'll say about that. So I do agree with you that they were creative in how they kind of approached the run game. They had to be in the second half because they weren't throwing the ball, right? Like <laughs> when you're that predictable, I mean, it's not like Penn, Manny Diaz isn't stupid. He knows, he knows that they're running the ball every single time. When you throw in two tight ends and you just like do a 14 for or whatever, they're, they're going to run the ball. Um, I will say the interesting the give and take here, right? Like they can be creative running the ball. Blake Corum had a good game. I, maybe not amazing or spectacular, but a, a very good game. I mean, he, he ran for almost 150 yards, like five and a half a pop. That's largely in the second half, right? When, you know, everybody knows what's coming. Uh, Donovan Edwards had a really, some really good uh, rushes, which is the first time all season where he hasn't looked like complete ass. But my you know, addendum to that is that I think a large part of that Tremor looked at that and at what was happening in the first half and realized that they could not let JJ McCarthy drop back to pass because if they did, their tackles were going to get annihilated and JJ McCarthy was going to be running for his life on every play. And that's the interesting part about this because there was a point in the second half where Michigan, and I guess we've kind of gone to the Michigan part and that's fine of this conversation. But there was a point in the second half where Michigan had a three and out. They subsequently got a uh, they got the ball back after a Penn State punt. They got a first down on a penalty, but only ran six plays on that drive. And then the following play or the following drive that they got, uh, they had another three and out. That was like midway through the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter. And if Penn State had at any point in time during those three drives. Um, scored points. They even just gotten a field goal. That would have completely changed the tenor of that game. It wasn't so much that Michigan was like dictating the flow of the game or controlling things uh, as much as, in my opinion, it was Penn State just being completely inept on offense. And again, I don't want to take too much away from Michigan because they 
you know, like you said, they were super creative on offense. They have a great running game. I don't think it's as good as it was last year, but I think they can get got. And and I think one of the big things that was exposed a little bit is that their tackles are not very good. And they got to worry about that in the game. If they're playing from behind, that J.J. McCarthy is going to be asked to throw the ball more than eight times a game because Ohio State and Jim Knowles, I'm sure, is looking at that and just like salivating because that could be a big problem for them in uh, in a couple weeks. Well, I would just bear in mind again, I um, you know, I think that they've been leaning on McCarthy more just in terms of calling passing plays, but you got to remember, I think he's got quite a few of them. They never, when he runs the ball, they hardly ever call designed runs for him. They did oh, yeah, do. All scrambles, yeah. They did do a designed run for him on a third and long conversion that they got against Penn State. But typically, when they're running those plays, um, or when he gets rushing production, it comes by the way of improvising out of a collapsing pocket in a way that a defense is just not able to catch up with him in time before he's able to at least get across the line of scrimmage. So he. Um, I think the biggest key with him is just, you know, you've you've seen him get rattled when he's regularly pressured, but if he if he gets sacked one time and then he's still confident that he's able to do those, you know, double backs to, you know, <laughs> get out of get out of one pressure situation and then another and then just buy enough time to get an improvisational passing window opened up and get some kind of meme fifteen yard completion. It, it, he he's got a bit of that Caleb Williams energy in him in that sense. If he's able to get that in a rhythm because the team isn't regularly pressuring or hurrying him, then I don't feel good about Ohio State winning this game. But if they're able to do that, which we saw them do in a consistent fashion early this season in a way that has slowly materialized into more and more sacks as the season has gone on, I think that there's a very, very good bounce back opportunity for Ohio State's defense here relative to the quarterback that uh, was kind of uh, the bane of their existence a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, okay, so that was the game, you know, Penn State, Michigan, it was a weird game, Uh, you know, (laughs) James Franklin goes ahead and fires Mike Gurchich, which great, like cool, (laughs) it doesn't matter, your season's over, I guess you can go ahead and do that now. Uh, I don't know that that helps at all. Uh, he's now, I think, 1-12 in 12 against top 10 teams, which is horrifically bad. Uh, just, I don't know what's going on. I mean, Penn State, they get they get all this talent, and they beat the teams they're supposed to beat, and they beat nobody else. And it's it's kind of crazy to see because that's a team that's ostensibly supposed to be, especially, you know, in absence of Michigan being good until the past couple of years, they were, they were supposed to be the best, second-best program in the Big Ten. And they just have not beaten anybody. And it's it's really kind of hilarious to watch at this point. Um, I had no faith that Franklin was going to come into that game prepared, and he wasn't. They, they had nothing offensively ready to go. And this is with all of the other stuff that we haven't even talked about going on in the background with Jim Harbaugh getting, you know, suspended and then Michigan, you know, basically sitting on their on their hands for a couple of days and waiting to the last minute to file this objection and then trying to do a temporary restraining order at the last minute. And then Michigan as a program, just putting out the corniest crap in the history of the universe and saying it's, you know, Michigan versus everybody, which isn't at all like Ohio versus the world. Why would you say that? And 
you know, just overall, man, it, it's just a really weird week of football leading into it. I, the hearing that they're going to have for this temporary restraining order is going to be later on this week. I don't know what the outcome of that will be. Um, I also don't think that Jim Harbaugh being able to participate in team activities and prepare his team during the week, but just not being on the sidelines. I don't know that that changes the equation for Maryland for them at all. And frankly, I don't know. I mean, I guess it means a little bit for Ohio state, but like, he's not calling the plays, man. Like, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. The, the communication that they built up during Harbaugh's original three game self-imposed suspension. That was just a, uh, it was a front for them to prepare for when they would eventually yeah, get Yeah, it was taught. just a dress rehearsal so they could yeah. like be the just the most navel-gazy, you know, droopy dog, woe is us kind of program in America. And I'm like, God, it's so insufferable. It's, you know, and then Blake Corum showing up after the game, showing more crying after the game. Blake Corum showing up, he's got blood on his face. Like, dude, somebody's got a wet nap in between the field and the, you know, and the actual It's funny like, you called room. the program that employed Connor Stallions navel gazy. <laughs> that's right. That's how, that's where they learned it from. They learned it from naval seal. In the uh, Navy. That's right. You can sail the seven seas. And it just, I don't know. Everything from Michigan has been so reflexively whiny, I think, in the past week. And it's not to say, I mean, that's not to cast a judgment on like whether their concerns are valid or anything like that, because I'm not a lawyer. I also personally, like I've said this before, I've written it before. I'm, I don't think this is like the worst scandal that Michigan has going on right now. I think there are other things that are worse, like that the FBI is involved with. Uh, I'm not personally affronted that they were like stealing signs slightly more illegally than everyone else. Uh, but the fact that they have taken this to heart and then like, acted like they're just the victims in all of this harbaugh is- today said they should be america's <laughs> team that's for right. this that's right and like what the level the just the utter lack of self-reflection is just hilarious to me and i, I think about even something as recently as like you know this season with ryan day right where after the after the notre dame game like you know he calls out uh <laughs> he calls out lou holtz and pretty much everybody at Ohio State was like, well, that's weird and funny. And, and we made fun of it. And we, like, had fun with it. And we joked about it. And we said, okay, man, that's a little over the top. That's a little silly. And then at Michigan, they're treating this this rant, you know, by Harbaugh and acting like, you know, he's, he's got him on the run and he's this crazy war general. And they're, Michigan fans are like, yeah, that's our guy. And I'm like, you sound like Ohio State. You sound like you – Say Ohio State sounds fans like, are. He sounds like Trump. That's who he sounds yeah. like. It's weird. Mich- like- Michigan should be America's team. <laughs> the best. Tremendous. No, no, no cheating. The Big Ten rigged it against us. Give me money. Give me money, Jim Harbaugh. More money for me to stay. Not go. Not go to the NFL. <laughs> but that. But but like that's what I'm saying though, man. Like it just it it seems super weird and out of touch with the reality and that so many Michigan people are buying into it and like going, hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. When for the past, I don't know how long they've always been like these, you know, skeptics and like, you know, putting on their monocle and going, Oh no, that's not how we, how we act in college football. The Michigan man way. Yeah. That they're fully buying into this like WWE stuff is just, 
goofy as hell. And it and it's also really corny, like I said, because it, none of it seems really genuine. A lot of it seems super performative and kind of cynical. You know what I mean? Like the stuff with the shirts and, you know, it's like core. I'm like, just wipe off your face. <laughs> like nobody's nobody thinks you're going to run in and try to tackle somebody in the press room. You know, sure, more like going. Oh, that like, no, really that's what I it. thought you meant by WWE stuff was Corum. Like, what do they call it when they like put the razor I mean, blades in yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, that's right. right yeah, right. the CM so Punk knows. special. That's right, the CM Punk special. That's right. So they're just going in there, and it's like it, it just seems so fake, and it's not them. And and I really want to see a team beat them. And honestly, if it's not if it's not Ohio State, I mean Maryland actually coming out and biting them in the ass this weekend would be extremely funny. Um, I'm not super confident that'll happen, but it would be, in my opinion, probably the funniest way for that to go down. Actually, the funniest way for it to go down, and I don't want this to happen, but because it would involve an Ohio State loss, but they they lose to Maryland, they beat Ohio State, then they go to the Big Ten Championship and lose to Iowa by like 20. And as a result, no Big Ten teams are in the college football playoff. I think that would be objectively the funniest thing to happen. Now, I obviously don't want that to happen because I want Ohio State to win. Uh, but them getting hoisted on their own petard, particularly by like Iowa at the end of the season would be very, very funny indeed, especially if like Jim Harbaugh was back on the sidelines. Um, so yeah, so that's Michigan. That's what's going on with those guys there. Like I said, there's more stuff to come. Uh, I don't think the story was going away anytime soon. Uh, NCAA, by the way, was at central Michigan asking questions. Wonder why that would be. That's kind of fun. Uh, also around the college football world, uh, Jimbo Fisher's gone, and uh, Texas A&M's going to pay him $75 million to go away, which I've been asked to go away from a lot of places in my life, but no one's ever offered me $75 million to do so. So I'm, I got to say I'm a little jealous. I think that's, you know, that's, that's living right that, there. That, that's program was, work if you can get it. That program was dead in the water under Fisher the first year that NIL was active and the number one recruit went on the visit there and he took, I think he said it on TikTok or something. He was like, they're, they got like nothing in their trophy case here. <laughs> like they, they got all this money, but their trophy case is just empty. Right. It's like, wow, <laughs> that really says it. It's like, you can come here and get a bag, but you're not going to develop or win anything. It's like, hey, you, you, you were better served so many other places. And it was kind of the same MO with Jimbo at FSU. And uh, I, it'll be curious to see where he lands after this. I mean, he's kind of got Alabama coordinator written all over him. Right? I was about to say, assuming I mean, Saban doesn't, Saban. assuming Saban isn't done after the season. Who knows? I mean, Alabama, they're sticking around a little bit. I don't know if he'd want to change it up if he doesn't have to. That was the thing about Jimbo. I mean, he had like two or three seasons there with Florida State where they looked like just badass incarnate, right? Like, oh, FSU's back, right? Knowles are back. This is the late '90s again. You know, pork done all that stuff. And then they have a couple kind of like mess seasons and then they completely fall off a cliff, right? He goes like five and six and he's gone. And then he goes to Texas A&M. They give him a trillion dollars and he looks fine for a couple seasons. And then the last three seasons, it's just gotten progressively worse. Um, so it's weird. Like he can really sustain it like for maybe a season or two. And then he's like, oh, what do I do with all this money? And, you know, just, you know, it feels like he kind of falls off a cliff a little bit. So that's interesting. Um also, uh, the other thing to kind of talk about real quick uh, in terms of uh, college football is, you know, obviously we've got you know, these these rankings coming out. Ohio State, I think, 
um, you know, kind of holding steady, looking good. Do you think that's reflective of how, like, does, I mean, we, we've talked about how none of this really matters, the college football playoff and the rankings and all that kind of stuff. Do you still kind of feel that way at this point? Yes. <laughs> One show. No, that's fair. One that's fair. ranking show in December. That's yeah. it. That's all I need. I'm I'm glad that Ohio State's number one now because of this weird subjective uh, rankings that we do way too early. But mm-hmm. no, it, it, it like, for all the reasons I said before, it takes away from what could be the excitement of one reveal. I mean, I'll never forget listening to the radio with my dad on the way back from the 2014 Big Ten championship game and just like, you know, waiting for the results to come out with bated breath like we were we were so eager because this was the first one and i mean i i think they had done rankings releases earlier in the season even though that was the first one but this one being like the actual first like this is what the rankings are going to be in the in the lore forever it was Mm -hmm. special listening to that release i remember like there were a bunch of other Ohio State fans on the highway with us, like blaring their horns and stuff after like, they got selected. So everybody cool. was happy as hell. So it, yeah. I, I just don't care right now. I, I, yeah. I don't like it's. I don't. We have the AP poll for this purpose and the coaches poll. They don't mean anything anymore for the rest of the season because of the, the, the Mimi SBN rankings, right? That don't um, actually mean anything until December. So. I'm with you on that. And you know what? Ohio State, they went out. It doesn't matter. They're good to go. Um, yep. So last couple of things I want to talk about. First of all, briefly, Ohio State men's basketball loses to Texas A&M. Uh, look, and it was close. I mean, Texas A&M, top 25 team. They were going back and forth. But really, the I think the underlying uh, thing to point out here, the thing that we underline and maybe talk about, uh, or at least note, is that Ohio State just got skunked on the boards. I mean, they – that was a problem that they had last year. Um, it looks like it's continuing this year and they've got some guys who you would think would be able to, to bang a little bit, but just defensive rebounding was just not it. And uh, it, it hurt them in the long run. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's cool that, you know, Thornton goes out there and, and, and is scoring points and that's great. But uh, overall, I mean, they just did not look like a team that could consistently score or prevent the other team from scoring, at least in uh, crunch time. It's uh, not good when your opponent shoots three for 18 from three and scores half as many bench points as you do and you <laughs> outblock them 10 to one. Yeah. Ohio State at 10 blocks, AM at one. And AM still won this game by seven points. Right. They made three three pointers the whole game. Yeah, like you get, it, you get a uh, rebound, man. Yeah, I, I it's that does not bode well. That's just no. really all I have to say. <laughs> Particularly going into Big Ten season, right, where that's like the most important. I think one of the most important things that you have to do as a team is rebound well against some of these Big Ten opponents. Uh, lastly, CJ Stroud. Look, I'm I'm supposed to be upset about this, but I was kind of watching it, going like, ah, oh, come on, <laughs> maybe maybe he should do it. Maybe the Bengals deserve to lose. Uh, leading yet another last minute, um, uh, winning game winning drive. Uh, I think what the only rookie to do that in the last 40 years to do that back to back weeks. Wow, through for a trillion yards. 
I mean, it's obviously people are talking about rookie of the year at this point, especially with the Texans, who I don't think some people even had having five wins total in the entire season that are now sitting. Yeah. Now sitting a game above 500. He's the reason why they're there. And he's got as good a a claim for MVP at this point than than anybody else in the, in the NFL. So um, I don't know, man, I I expected him to be good. I I did not expect him to be this good this early. I'm, I'm kind of amazed by what he's been able to do. Yeah. He uh, he's been very impressive. Um, We'll, we'll see if he can keep it up. I, uh, well, as long as, as long as, uh, as long as Marvin Harrison senior, AKA Noah Brown continues to like destroy teams, another two, like nobody, as much as people expected, you know, Ohio state CJ Stroud to go out and be a badass. I don't think anybody expects Noah Brown to put together the, the career that he's had. Well, I think, about- you know, Noah Brown's come on strong in the last couple of weeks, but the guy that really, I think has been the crux for uh, Stroud's success has been tank Dell in mm. the, in this season and, yeah. and Dell was missing about I think there was a stretch where he missed about like three or four games possibly maybe only a couple but he th- he was like that um he that's I, I don't want to say secondary receiver but he clearly had the best rapport with Stroud coming out of the gate and mm-hmm. his absence I think kind of uh, took away from Stroud's performances um, over the last like month and a half or so where, you know, he he was getting talked about for rookie of the year pretty consistently, but he still kind of fell out of the way view where these last two performances have now put him in a position of undeniability, I think, for the time being. So yeah, it he's is, done really well. It's I, very, very good for Ohio State's brand to see that. I, oh, I love it. That's the other thing. I mean, C.J. Stroud, every time he gets in front of the camera, is doing OHIO after every game. He's talking about how he loves Ohio and he misses Ohio State and he loves Ryan Day. And I he, that seems really genuine. Like, I, I can tell that he really wants to rep Ohio State and, and just loves talking it up because he never misses an opportunity to do it. And I don't know. I think that's that's really, really kick-ass. That whole narrative, you know, no good Ohio State NFL quarterbacks uh, seems to be dead at this point. And the fact that C.J. Stroud is, like, so unapologetically a Buckeye, um, I think that's pretty freaking awesome. We'll see. So, I uh, hope he stays healthy to keep that narrative in doubt well and you know what might help him is the fact that he also has a pretty damn good running game uh behind him like Devin Singletary going out and getting 150 yards on the ground definitely makes it easier uh for you to throw right like you got a good tight end too Dalton Schultz Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and Stroud security blanket every rookie quarterback in the NFL needs one that's right and that's the thing. That's that was the stark difference actually in that game between the Texans and the Bengals is that Burrow's out there and he had a decent game, but you know threw two stupid picks. Um, uh, but he, I mean, the running game for Cincinnati's been terrible, and you know you, you can see the difference between like a competent you know team and and one that isn't. So hopefully they fix that. But I was really happy to see what Stroud was able to put together. So anyway, that's the Dubcast for this week. We're going to talk more, much more about everything else happening uh, in college football, NFL, and beyond uh, everything Ohio State. We've got 
Uh, a Minnesota team coming up. I don't know how feisty they're going to be. They've had a lot of trouble on offense and defense, uh, particularly replacing some offensive starters uh, that they've had to deal with over the course of the season. It hasn't really worked out super well for them. I, I think that's going to be a really interesting game, and I hope we see kind of a carbon copy of what we saw against Michigan State because I think they're certainly capable of it. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited to talk about it next week. Uh, and until then, I'm Johnny. I'm George. And we'll see you then. Take care, folks.